0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow.
1: And I'm Derek Levasser.
0: So today we're continuing on with the ASHA degree case. This is part two. We're going to go over the rest of the evidence, the rest of the information, the rest of the timeline. And then in part three, we're going to go over theories, which there are quite a bit of, um, plus some of our own personal theories and our own thoughts about this case. So I I do want to dive in. There is still so much to go over, and I'm excited to get Derek's perspective about uh, what else happened in this case and what else was found. When we last left off, they were still searching for a nine-year-old Asha Degree in February 20th, 2000. That was the sixth day of the search. And although those who were still looking for Asha, they obviously went and they gave it their all, they turned up empty-handed, and the ground search was called off at the end of the day, indefinitely. The spokesman for the sheriff's department, his name's Bob Roadcap, He announced that the department had received more than 200 calls and a special department had been set up to conduct follow-up interviews and pursue every tip. He said, quote, What we need now is for someone to call us with information. It's like she just vanished. But nothing in this investigation has been halted. I can promise you that. It's still a full-blown case, end quote. Roadcap also said that if something substantial came in from the TIP hotline, they would call in as many searchers as possible. I think he said, you know, within a matter of hours, they could get between 50 and 500 people out there searching. And they were not going to give up. He mentioned that the whole thing was incredibly bizarre, how Asha's trail just seemed to end in that old shed on the Taylor's property. And he said, quote, it's like she stepped off the face of the earth. No one has been able to place her beyond that spot. End quote. Now, at this point, over 9,000 man hours had gone into the search and they'd begun, you know, combing over the same areas twice and three times. So, do you feel that when an actual search for a missing person is called off, law law enforcement has like reached this point where they believe that the person they're looking for is no longer alive?
1: No, no, I think that they, I'm, I'm sure behind closed doors, they're definitely having, um, suspicions about what happened to her because the trail went cold and because of the statistics surrounding it you know when when a person's missing for that long the likelihood of them being alive whether it was an abduction or they were hurt in the woods you know either way if they haven't been seen by anyone if they're injured or you know or worse if they haven't received medical assistance by that point it does sometimes change from a search to a recovery mission and i will say this even though they call off the search I bet you there's still things that are going on. I know that in our, we might call off the public search, but there's still more specific searches taking place. Um, so I don't think necessarily when they say searches off, that doesn't mean she's dead. It just means that they truly believe they've, done as much as they could at that point and it becomes redundant and i mean 9000 man hours we've talked about some previous cases where the reaction wasn't that quick the response wasn't that fast and even when they did respond and do the search it wasn't that efficient or effective um that doesn't appear to be the case here um so in in my opinion it wasn't for a lack of effort that they weren't they were unable to find asha yeah
0: i mean and everybody was searching for her you know not just the police i think her coach um Wilson, I forget his first name, but his last name was Wilson. He was out there every single day of the search for 12 hours a day. So there were so many people who were personally motivated to find her on top of law enforcement and trained searchers and volunteers looking for this little girl. And, and it just wasn't happening. Like they were going over areas that they'd already combed with a fine tooth comb. They, they just couldn't find her. And more than that, they weren't even finding any evidence that she'd been anywhere, which I I think is extremely frustrating, especially when they found her stuff in that shed. And then they were like, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, we're on the right track now. Let's look around this area. And then to find nothing in that area, it literally was like she stepped into that shed and disappeared.
1: I think it's kind of I'm not a hunter, but I think it's kind of like a hunter where you might pick up on like a blood trail for a deer you just shot or something and, and you have to follow. it. But there are times where a hunter will shoot a deer find a, a blood trail for a certain distance and then lose it. And unfortunately they know the dead is deer uh, dead. The deer is dead somewhere in the area, but because the woods are very, they're a large portion to cover at some point, they just have to give up because they know they're not going to be able to cover their tracks enough to know which areas they cover and what they didn't. So I'm sure a grid was implemented during this time. They, they marked off all the areas covered. They feel like they searched those areas um, as good as they could and at that point, you have to just rely on new information, something that may heat up the trail again, some, uh, uh, you know, a random call, an anonymous call, some new piece of information that's found out, another piece where a neighbor or someone who's walking through the woods or something finds a piece of evidence that would suggest Asha was there. You just, unfortunately, it's a waiting game. And I, th- I think at this point, that's where they were.
0: Well, in March of 2000. A child interview expert with the DOJ, so the Department of Justice, was brought in to re-interview Asha's brother, O'Brien. And for those of you who don't remember, uh, O'Brien was just a year older than Asha. They were very close. And uh, this woman also interviewed some of Asha's friends. The child interview expert, her name was Kimberly Poye, and she wasn't really able to get a lot of new information besides the fact that Asha apparently had been keeping a few dollars in her wallet And she had showed that she had a couple of dollars to her friends on February 10th, which was four days before she went missing. Now, it's still unknown where Asha got this money from or whether she would have still had it on her person when she vanished. But that same month, a billboard was erected on Highway 18 with Asha's face on it and a number to call if anybody knew anything. And this billboard was put up right at the spot where Asha had been seen by that trucker, Jeff Rupp. And once again, for those of you who don't remember exactly everything that we talked about in part one, Jeff Rupp was that 25-year-old trucker. He was the first person who saw Asha. He he drove past her, and then he went back to pass her to see if she was okay. And then he drove past her a third time, and he's the one who saw her veering off the highway and going towards the area where the Taylor's barn would have been. And I read something today where they said the, um, the distance between where Asha would have gone off the highway to the Turner's shed, she would have had to have crossed like two football fields with and she would have had to have gone over a creek and kind of like up a hill. So not the most ideal terrain for a nine-year-old girl to cross a uh, quite a ways. You know, it wasn't just like she turned off the highway and there was the shed. They think that this light that was left on outside of the shed or the barn it kind of guided her there. She would have been able to see it through the early morning mist. She would have thought, you know, there's somebody lives here. I can get help. And she would have been able to find that barn, which just had the door. They had no door on it. So she could have just gotten in easily.
1: Yeah. And I, and I still think, and I said it last ap- episode, and after doing a little bit more research w- with having, you know, a limited amount of information to go off of, I still believe that although Jeff had good intentions, I really believe in my heart that the reason Asha veered off Highway 18 was because of Jeff. I think that she got nervous. I think she was frightened that he was going to do something bad. He was some had some nefarious intentions. And, you know, seeing that light, she felt like she could be safe because she got far enough off the road where the trucker, you know, wouldn't be able to follow her. I, I I believe that. And I haven't seen anything that would make me believe otherwise.
0: Yeah, a lot of people think that he spooked her, but he didn't mean yep. to. You know, 100
1: like not his fault at all
0: he had no idea what she was doing out there he had no idea what she was doing there alone and Mm. you know she was a sheltered child so she was probably warned about stranger danger and all of that stuff by her parents and you know it 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 kicked in when she needed it to but unfortunately if if he had been able to make contact with her she could have climbed it I know I know she could have climbed in. He would have brought her home. She would have been. that be end of it. Fine, I know. But I would never tell my nine year old daughter, "Yeah, get in a, a truck with a trucker who's tr- who says he's trying to help you." You know, so yeah, I, it's it's really one of those uh, no win situations here. It's sad that we have to teach our kids they can't trust you know, the, even somebody who appears to be a helpful stranger, like you still can't trust them. Well,
1: that's what we said in episode one, right at the start where parents can do everything right, but sometimes just luck, like timing and luck can be the deciding factor. And that's why I said, you know, the parents were unlucky. Yes, there's more to the story, but just the series of events that took place. If just one little thing changed, you and I might not be here today talking about this. So that's, that's what I meant by it. And it, and little things like this is why, why I felt that way. And. Yeah, it's unfortunate.
0: I wish we weren't here talking about it. Agreed. Well, a year and a half passed before anything substantial would come up in Asha's case again. Um, We're going to take a quick break before we talk about what was found about 18 months after she went missing. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. A 44-year-old Burke County contractor named Terry Fleming was doing some grading work in the woods off of Highway 18. So I think that grading, I'm not sure. (laughs) I think it's just like evening out the ground. Am I right?
1: Yeah, okay. absolutely. Grading out, leveling out the ground. Yep. Okay. Usually rock or sand or, you know, soil.
0: Good. I'm glad that I was right because I meant to look that up and see exactly what it was and I forgot <laughs> to yep. grading, do that.
1: Grading out the... Pr- it also can be grading it out where you're going from a lower level to a higher level, but doing it in a like... Even way, yeah, subtle way where it's not like a
0: A gradual
1: or yes, gradual. Yes, gradual. It's a great word. Yep.
0: So Terry was the owner of Precision Grading, and he was basically working on creating a driveway through this area of the woods. So I think they were building a house like in the woods, and these people wanted a driveway that went off the highway to their house. So that's what he was doing there. He was using a heavy duty forty-seven thousand pound backhoe to dig up the earth, and while he was doing this he uncovered a black plastic bag, a garbage bag. Terry later told the media, quote, I noticed it for a while and didn't bother it. I go in and clean up areas all the time and never think about it, but this looked strange to me, End quote. Terry finally opened the garbage bag after coming across it multiple times, and inside he found a black and beige book bag. He opened the book bag and he saw a name and a phone number written inside, So Terry said he wanted to call someone, try to call maybe that number, try to call the police maybe, but he claims he was working under power lines, so he wasn't getting good cell service, and he ended up just leaving the book bag where it was. He said he didn't touch anything inside, he didn't remove anything, nothing, but he did write down the name and number that he found in the book bag on a separate sheet of paper so that he could figure out what to do about this discovery later, but then he went home and he had some work calls and paperwork to do and stuff, and he completely forgot about it. Until the next day, Um, and, and the next day, he shows his wife this number and this name, and the number was Asha Degree's home number, and it was her name, so it was her book bag. And Terry's wife was like, hey, this is Asha Degree. She went missing like a year and a half ago. It was all over the news. Like, you need to call somebody. So this area off of Highway 18 where Terry was working, it was about six miles south of Morgantown, North Carolina and almost uh, 30 miles north of where Asha Degree had last been seen on the highway. So obviously, um, Terry calls the police at around 10 a.m. the day after he finds the book bag. He reported what he had found, and within 45 minutes, the site was secured by law enforcement. And Burke County Police had contacted the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office. So Burke County and Cleveland County, they're neighboring counties. They're right next to each other.
1: You know, um, I don't think um I'm... saying anything that hasn't probably already registered in most of our viewers' minds right now. When we talked about this case in Part 1, there's a there's a few possibilities. Um, there's a possibility that Asha got lost in the woods, got hurt somewhere, and they didn't find her. Um, but then there's the possibility that she was kidnapped, she was abducted, um, and she may still be alive or she may be dead. Um, this right here really puts to bed the idea or the theory that she was hurt in the wood, injured in the wood somewhere, and they just couldn't find her. Or
0: that she just ran away of her own free will.
1: That she just ran away of her own free will, and you know, she she just this is what she decided to do. Finding that book bag thirty miles away and seeing that it was buried to some degree, we yes. don't know how much he dug down to find it.
0: It was it was warm, pretty well it was pretty well hidden. Yeah,
1: dug down. So that says somebody did that, and then secondly, if the if the if it being buried wasn't enough, it was placed into a garbage bag. Again, that has to be a human interaction with that book bag, and there would be no reason for Asha to do that whatsoever. So this is highly suggestive that Asha was taken, um, whether she's alive or not, as we're sitting here right now. That's still that's still open. I mean, there's a possibility she could have been kidnapped, kept somewhere, and she may still be alive as you and I, Stephanie, are having this conversation. And we hope she is. Um, but I do think that whether you're an investigator or just someone who, who listens to true crime, Asha was more than likely taken by someone. And this someone is the person who, who more than likely buried this backpack because they didn't want it to be found.
0: Exactly. Exactly. If somebody took her, which... Clearly, this. Why would Asha go thirty miles away from where she was seen on the highway and bury her own book bag, which is everything she packed when she left the house? Somebody encountered her when she was out. They did something to her, and then they tried to hide the evidence.
1: Yeah, it's an unfortunate thing. Like you, you, it's it's not bittersweet. It's not. That's a wrong phrase. But it's like you want more information. You want to know what happened, Um, because we. You again. You you asked this question to people in the comments of, I believe it was two episodes ago you know would you rather know or not know well you'd rather know but I'm sure finding this piece of information for the family it must have been ter- that. Oh it gosh. must have been terrible <laughs> because again it doesn't take someone who is in law enforcement or whatever to know this is not good this is this is not a good indication of what happened to Ash on the day she disappeared
0: I was just thinking that like if you're her parents they find her you know, a couple of her belongings in the shed, not far from her house, like a mile and a half from her house. So you're thinking, okay, she ran away. She may be scared. She may be lost in the woods. We're going to find her. A year and a half passes. This book bag gets unearthed. And as her parent, your heart must break into a million pieces because, you know, at that point, not only did, you know, she go missing, but she encountered foul play. She encountered somebody who most likely meant her harm. And now you are tortured with that new realization after a year and a half of having to suffer every day, not even knowing where your nine-year-old daughter is. It has to be completely devastating. Like, you're being killed over and over again. I can't even imagine. Well, the search of this area, because obviously they want to see if there's more evidence around and if there's possibly a body around, it took place on a 20-foot embankment. And also, it included a nearby creek And both of these areas had not previously been searched by police. Why would they? They were so far away from where she went missing. There were 100 people searching this area, and it was very treacherous. There was thick brush. There was like snakes. People said there was like snakes jumping out at them. These were like jungle-like conditions. And they, they kept this up for seven hours. They were told to keep an eye out for light clothing, such as the clothing that Asha had allegedly been wearing when she was seen walking on Highway 18 the morning of her disappearance. They were also told to keep an eye out for potential grave sites. They would do that by looking for mounds of dirt, sunken areas, or unusual vegetation. A cadaver dog was also brought in, but once again, they found nothing new besides some scattered bones that ended up belonging to various animals. The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office would never reveal exactly what was in Asha's book bag, and you see this a lot in this case, um... It's kind of frustrating because they'll tell you just this small little information, but then they do not elaborate on it at all. They did say, however, that there was clothes in there and 99.9% of the items found inside the backpack had belonged to Asha. The backpack had been double wrapped in a garbage bag, which law enforcement said they believed had not belonged to Asha. And the, the garbage bag with the book bag in it had been buried, hidden. The sheriff's office gave a statement saying, quote, it's highly unlikely she placed them there herself. We have reason to believe that was not Asha's plastic bag, so it certainly heightens our suspicions that one or more people were involved, end quote. It's also believed that this book bag had been buried months before it was found, and the bag and its contents were sent to the FBI in Quantico for further testing, which they did complete in 2003, but the results from those tests were never released to the public. So there is a lot of speculation about what exactly was in Asha's book bag. But there is a blog called Finding Asha Degree. And the person who writes this blog, I believe it's a woman. She's gone through multiple reports about the book bag. And she's put together a list of its alleged contents. So there apparently were several articles of clothing inside, including Asha's favorite pair of jeans that had a red stripe down the side, a long-sleeved white nylon shirt, a red vest with black trim, Black overalls with a Tweety Bird decal on them, a black and white long-sleeved shirt, and her basketball uniform. Her Tweety Bird purse was also located inside the book bag, along with a pair of black shoes, Asha's wallet, and house keys, and three family photos. Now, there's some uh, confusion or controversy, I guess, about the basketball uniform, which seems to have stemmed from a February 2001 article printed in the Charlotte Observer in which they state that the uniform, the basketball uniform, had been found in the book bag, but it's not listed on the FBI website with the other contents of the bag. However, other articles have printed that Asha packed her basketball uniform. So we don't really know for sure, and there's never been any confirmation one way or the other. There was also two other items that may have been in her book bag. There's been a heated debate online as to whether or not these things were actually found in the bag or if they were found at a later point and then connected to Asha. But the FBI's website does confirm that they were in the book bag, even though investigators didn't bring these items to the public's attention or release images of them until 2018. So when the book bag was found, the sheriff said that 99.9% of the items inside were Asha's. That meant that maybe these few items were not belonging to Asha. And these items were a concert t-shirt, which featured the New Kids on the Block, and a Dr. Seuss book titled, Make Alligant's Pool. So it's a Dr. Seuss book. Neither of these things were identified as belonging to Asha, but the book had been checked out at the Falston Elementary School Library, and that was the same school that Asha attended. The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office posted image of these two things on their Facebook page in 2018, and they asked the public to think about Whether they or anyone that they knew had owned a new Kids on the Black t shirt, like the one pictured, or if they remembered checking out the Dr. Seuss book, or if they owned a Dr. Seuss book that they no longer had or they'd lost track of. Apparently, the book had been checked out early on in the year 2000, right around the time that Asha went missing. And since the library records didn't go back that far, they obviously needed help from the public. Now, law enforcement would never reveal why these two items were important, like what their connection was to Asha going missing or how they figured out that these items did not belong to Asha. It's believed that the Dr. Seuss book probably had some sort of checkout card inside. You know, when it there's like a card inside and it says you have to return by this date. Um, but there was no corresponding records from the school to point it to the person who had checked it out. And I guess that Asha's parents said, no, she never checked this out. She didn't have this book. The New Kids on the black t-shirt is very odd to me as well, because if you think about it, Asha went missing in 2000. So she was born in 1991 and although the new kids on the block they did see a great deal of success and fame in the United States they basically enjoyed most of that in like the 80s and the early early 90s so it's hard to understand why a 9 year old girl in the year 2000 would be a fan of this band who you know by the time she was born they were already kind of going into their downswing um the band did have a reunion of sorts but that didn't happen until 8 years after Asha went missing so I did some, you know, looking into this, and I found out that during the summer of 1990, the new kids on the block they went on a magic summer tour, (laughs) and this did bring them to North Carolina, Charlotte specifically, on August 9th in the year um, 1990. But then between 1994 and 2008, they didn't tour at all. So either this shirt did not belong to Asha at all, and it was somebody else who had put it in her book bag, or she'd gotten it from a friend or somebody. But no one she knew admitted to having, like, ever seen it or or giving it to her. Nothing. Yet, according to the FBI's website, it was found in her book bag. What do you make of this? And were you a New Kids on the Block fan?
1: Uh, first off, huge New Kids on the Block fan. Uh, I My first concert I ever attended was a New Kids on the Block concert. I had the belt to, yeah, I was rocking the belt. Um, but I really want to kind of unpack everything you just said. So before we do that, let's take a quick break. So, a few things here, because you really, you covered a lot there. And I know what you're saying as far as the FBI uh, not being able to confirm that uh, these two items belong to Asha. But just to throw out another alternative No, they did.
0: There, they did. So, on the FBI website...
1: They're saying 100% it's not hers. N-
0: yes, they're saying those items were not hers, but they were found in her book bag. Although local law enforcement, like the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, they never said they were found in the book bag. And if you think about it, the book bag was found in 2001, and the, the police never even brought this to the public's attention until 2018.
1: So here, here's my thing about it. And I'm pulling from personal experience here. You know, I'm, I'm the one, you know, I empty my daughter Tenley's book bag all the time. Her and also her winter jacket pockets when, you know, she, you know, during the colder months. And I can't tell you, and she's only in the third, she's going into the third grade, how many times I've pulled things that were insignificant, but then things of value. And I'm like, Tenley, where'd you get this from? This is, who's it? What is this? And she's like, oh, my friend said I could borrow it for the day. Or so they like trade things, you know, throughout the week. So I'm just interested. I'm not disputing it. I'm just interested to see, or, or know, I should say, you know, one, if they were able to confirm that it, it it definitely in no way, shape or form could have been hers. Um, I'd be interested to know how they did that because I don't know how they would rule out the possibility that this book and the shirt was borrowed from a, a friend where they were just exchanging stuff. And that was something that she wanted to get back to that person at some point. So she took it with her because it was valuable to someone she cared about. That's just a theory of mine. I, again, we say this all the time. The agents and the officers working in this case have way more information than you and I have. But that's just something that's running through my head because if they're able to definitively rule out the possibility that although Asha's parents couldn't identify these items, I don't know how else they would... If they don't know who the shirt belongs to, how do they know for a fact it it didn't belong to her at that moment where she was carrying it around for someone? And maybe that someone is a nine-year-old girl or an eight-year-old girl and they just didn't know that the police were looking in you know looking for it because th- i'm sure there was a lot of those shirts made right that's one thing i have i don't know if you want anything to add to that
0: well i they asked her
1: friends right yeah I'm, yeah I, I would assume they showed them pictures yeah i would assume
0: they asked her friends they asked the teachers yeah they asked the teachers at the school like is this your shirt did you give this shirt to her no one could figure out where that shirt had come from
1: it's crazy and it it even goes back to that photo right you know not to break up the photo like there are items in in her bag or that might have been in her possession that don't appear to to belong to her and I, i as an investigator you know other than talking to the family other than talking to the kids at the school which eight nine year old kids it's kind of a tough way to interview because they're not the most credible witnesses, but I'm assuming they always went back to the parents.
0: Yeah. I would. And, and said, Hey, does your kid have a shirt like this? Right. Yeah. And they, yeah. And they said, no,
1: of course not. And they're telling the truth, right? You they, know, they're but the they're,
0: ones that do the laundry, right? So yeah. They know. would know.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's one thing where I, I definitely think if you don't know about it, it's worth exploring. I, I love that they're doing this because if you don't know the answer, you need to find out.
0: Can I ask the you other, a question though? Yeah. Before we move on? Yeah. Okay. So they find the book bag in 2001, shirts inside of it, according to the FBI website. Yep. Why do they not ask for the public's help until 2018? Who the hell's going to remember checking out a damn Dr. Seuss book from the library? You know, how many years later? Like, that's a lot of years. That's like 17 years later. Who's going to remember owning a New Kids on the Block t-shirt 17 years later? Am I doing the right math here? 2001 to 2018. That's 17 years, right? Yeah. I, even basic math's hard for me. So
1: <laughs> I, I don't have an argument. I don't have an argument for that because it doesn't seem like it would hurt the case. And so I, I would I don't see why you would, wouldn't put it out sooner, even if it wasn't immediately within like three to six months, put it out there, you know, give you a little time to go to the students and teachers, but I don't have a good argument for 17 years. You know, I'll let you guys in on a little something, and this isn't a good thing. There are times when an agent or an officer or detective has a case and they're assigned case one, two, three, and they may be in detectives for 15 years and they have that case the entire time. But then that detective retires or they get promoted to Sergeant or something and it gets assigned to someone new or it gets put back into the, 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 the the cabinet or I should say the, uh, the database, the internal database where that may not get assigned to another detective for a couple months, and then that detective may keep it aside in his cold case file and never open it unless someone calls them on it, Like, like a witness or a tip comes in. So I'm not saying I agree with it, but there have been times where we pull out cases that happened 20, 30 years ago, and they haven't really been touched since. So just by promotions and through attrition from people leaving agencies, these things can fall through the cracks. Is that what happened here? I don't know. But is it a reality? Is that maybe an answer? Absolutely. Hate to admit it, but it's the truth. It can get lost because there are millions of cases that the, you know, Asha degrees of the world, these missing kids for the FBI, where they're looking into them and they get they get put aside for new cases that come in after that, that are more active. Um, does that answer? I mean, it's not a good answer. I know it's not something you're satisfied with, but it does make sense as far as it being a possible reason why, oh, crap, this is 17 years. We should have put this out a long time ago. Let's put it out now, even though it's probably not going to do anything at this point. Because it really wouldn't, right? I don't don't see the reason. I don't see. Sometimes you and I debate as far as certain information they want to give out, and you're like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, I can see why they would hold that back. A Dr. Seuss book, a New Kids on the Block t-shirt, I think the sooner you get it out, the better, because the more of a chance of someone remembering that they gave it to her or that they had traded or a show and tell one day and they had stuck it in her back, whatever the case may be. Um, but one more thing I wanted to go back to, the double bagging of her backpack itself. For me, it's really not good because if someone was just trying to hide evidence, you know, they they kidnapped her or they killed her, I don't think they would take the time to put it in a garbage bag to preserve it because they don't care if it gets destroyed. That's better for them. I, I kind of feel like it was a keepsake. I kind of feel like it was a keepsake because... If you think about something, you have this backpack and this backpack could come back. If you're the bad guy, this backpack could link back to you. If it's found in your car, in your garage, anywhere, if that's found on, in your, per- on your person, you're in trouble. So why wouldn't you just burn it? Why wouldn't you throw it in a river? Why wouldn't you There's so many different things you could do? But to put it in that garbage bag is a form of preservation because it's going to keep some of the water out. And so for me, I'm I'm not a psychologist, but it sounds like something you would do if you intended on going back and maybe looking at it or getting it at a later date. Um, And it probably was in those garbage bags for a period of time before it was buried, where they were keeping it somewhere so that it wouldn't be completely identifiable just by walking by. It was inside of a garbage bag. But then to keep it in that garbage bag and bury it as opposed to physically destroying it. There's only so many reasons why you would do that. And I feel like it would be signs of a keepsake where they didn't want to keep it near them because then it could implicate them. I don't know what, I know that's kind of, it's, it's speculation, but what do you think about that?
0: It's a really good point. I was even thinking, you know, cause it wasn't two garbage bags. It was one garbage bag, but like.
1: It was double wrapped.
0: Double wrapped.
1: They So they took some time with it. They really wanted to make sure it was watertight.
0: Yeah. So I was thinking maybe they're trying to hide like the scent of asha inside the bag like maybe they don't want it to be picked up by dogs maybe something like that but even so that goes back to your original question which is why not destroy it then if you burn don't it. want it to come back yeah burn it throw it into Have a, a, a big fire. fire. yeah
1: that's game over
0: so they clearly maybe wanted to come back and and view it as a trophy go through it relive the attack on this little girl yeah, yeah, that's scary. And so
1: I was, just, it was just something that crossed my mind. I have nothing to substantiate it, but I just think common sense would be if you're worried about something being found, you're not going to bury it in the woods and and preserve it in a way where if it was dug up, it would be in pretty good condition, right? Your DNA could be on it, things like that. So it's like, it just feels like it was done where it was a remote location where only the person who put it there would know where it is. Um and, and it would be in a, in, a, in a decent condition if they decided to go back and and dig it up and look at it again.
0: So here's another question. All of this stuff, including the New Kids on the Black Shirt and the Dr. Seuss book, the whole book bag with the, the plastic bag around it, sent to Quantico. Now, they they tested everything. They completed the tests in 2003. They have not revealed to the public what they found. If they had found nothing, like no fingerprints, no DNA, Would they have said that or would they still be keeping quiet? And why won't they give a little indication of what they found or didn't find?
1: You know, I I would say this. If they didn't find anything, they definitely wouldn't tell us because they want the person who did it to think they they might have to think they still might have something. Um, And as far as if they do have something, why they wouldn't reveal it? I know you and I won't agree on this, but it's because they feel like they have a partial, you know. A partial DNA that they could maybe link to something down the road as technology advances, and they don't, you know, if they don't have anything yet, what's the point of putting it out? Hey, we found DNA. We don't got all your DNA yet, but just you wait. If technology catches up, we got you. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know why they would release like that. It was unsuccessful. If it was successful and they were able to match it to somebody you and I would be having a much different conversation today because they would have went and bagged this guy.
0: So I almost wonder if they did find some sort of partial print or partial DNA profile. Because so. later, you know, they'll come across these suspects and they get DNA and hair samples and stuff from these suspects. It's a good sign. So that is right. Or I was thinking maybe they were doing that just in case they found her one day and then they would have this DNA on file to compare against. But it could be that they did find something at Quantico yeah. on this bag. Yeah.
1: And you might not be wrong too, by the way, you might be right where they didn't find anything on the bag and they're just grabbing DNA because they may find something down the road that does have DNA and they're not going to go back and, you know, ask these individuals again to submit samples. So it could be either, or both are very plausible. They might have nothing from the bag and they're just getting this DNA in case they find something down the road, or as we just suggested, they got partial DNA and they're using that and the technology available now. To try to see if there's any similarities between the DNA that they found and and these people, whether it's familial or whatever it might be, so that it could start to get them on the right path. That they speak to someone and they do find that it's a partial match. You know, it might not be able to be admitted in a court of law, but you could probably have a DNA specialist say, "Hey, I don't have a ton to say definitively that it's him, but from what I do have, it's possible." You know,
0: that's very interesting. It is a little frustrating from our standpoint right that we know these forensic tests were done on something that very likely was handled by the person who was responsible for Asha going missing and we don't know what they found
1: I think you nailed that i mean i think definitively whoever put this bag there absolutely knows what happened to Asha no doubt in my mind
0: well in february of 2001 an inmate at the mecklenburg county jail wrote letters to law enforcement officials and the charlotte observer claiming that he knew what had happened to Asha. Now, this is different than the the one you sent me the other day. It's a different inmate in a completely different uh, chain of events. So this man's name is Baron Ramsey. He had a lengthy criminal record, and he'd actually attended school with Asha's mother, Aquila. So he claimed that in the early morning hours of February 14th, 2000, which was the day that Asha went missing— He and another Cleveland County man were driving along Highway 18. Uh, He said they were coming back from Hickory, North Carolina, after purchasing drugs. And Ramsey claimed that he was in the passenger seat. The other man was driving when their vehicle struck a little girl who was walking on the road. Now, according to Ramsey, this little girl was still alive, but unconscious. And they put her into the back of the pickup truck and kept driving. After that, Ramsey was dropped off at home by this other man, who drove away with this little girl still in the back of his truck. But a few days later, Baron Ramsey went with this man to Moss Lake near Kings Mountain, and the two of them threw her body into the lake. Baron Ramsey claimed that he had been feeling guilty about this, and he wanted to bring Asha's family some sort of closure. So investigators searched large stretches of Highway 18. They were looking for some sign of like an accident, a hit and run. They were looking for like car parts or skid marks or even blood to corroborate the story. They also dragged Moss Lake twice. Once they used an underwater infrared camera and they brought in dive teams from Gastonia and York County, but they found nothing. The following October, Baron Ramsey was transferred to the Cleveland County Jail because he had uh, he told investigators that he was going to arrange a meeting with the man who was driving the pickup truck that morning. And, and police officers. But once he was in this less secure facility, Ramsey began making plans to escape with other inmates until a fellow prisoner tipped off the guards. So until November of that year, this is after he says this, this is after um, he's transferred to Cleveland County, the police had not told Asha's family about this tip because they obviously, they don't want to get their hopes up. And they frankly had never really believed Ramsey's story. He'd failed several polygraph exams and the alleged meeting he was supposed to have set up never happened because he was too busy planning his jailbreak. But Asha's mother, Aquila, told the media, quote, when we first heard it, I was angry because it was a lie, end quote. Um, So she, you know, the family never believed it either. She probably knew this dude from high school and she's like, he's trouble. Um, Why somebody would do this? I mean, we see it in almost every case, honestly. Somebody claims they know something because they they either just want to cause more pain or they want some sort of plea deal or some sort of reward. Yeah, they, they want some reward for their part in, in it. But uh, it's just very disgusting uh, to re-victimize this, this family. And around this time, Asha's brother O'Brien, he was having a very hard time trying to deal with his little sister's disappearance. I mean, he was her hero. He was her protector. He loved her so much. And losing her from his life, it was just uh, uncomprehensible how much it affected him. He started sleeping in his parents' room at night and he was seeing a mental health professional twice a week. Like he was very, very scared and sad. But before we continue on, let's take a quick break.
1: So before the break, you were talking about O'Brien and. It's easy to sit here and kind of be like, oh, you know, he can't beat himself up for it. You know, he's he's not responsible for this. And But you know what? We wouldn't know. We haven't been in that position. He he was the only one there who heard his little sister get out of her bed. And I'm sure every day it goes through his mind, like, what if I just rolled over and said, hey, go back to sleep? You know, get back. What are you doing? Get back. Just just by interacting with her, it might have deterred her from leaving. So I, I'm not even going to sit here and say that he shouldn't feel bad or that, you know... Cause it's not going to matter to him. He's probably not even going to listen to this, but you know, I'm sure he's heard other people say that to him and it, and it's at the end of the day, he's going to feel the way he feels and he has the right to do so. As far as this scumbag, whether he was involved or not, what was his name again? Baron? Um, You kind of just nailed it. You know, these guys, see they're opportunists, right? They're opportunists. He knew Aquila. He probably knew the story of Asha and was in jail and thinking, how can I get to her lower facility where the security isn't as extreme and maybe I can plan my escape? And this might have been the rationale. This might have been the plan he came up with. Some of these guys are pretty smart, and he had a pretty intricate story as far as what happened to Asha. I will say this, whether he's telling the truth or not, Who am I to say? It doesn't sound like he did, to be honest. But, you know, when we were talking about this initially and we were talking about her walking on the side of the road, the lighting conditions, the fog, is it possible that she got hit by a car? Yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Now, the person hitting her and clearly doing something with her body still makes them culpable because they could have easily called and said, hey, listen, I'm driving on the highway in this poor little girl came out in front of me. I didn't see her. And yeah, it's dark. And I don't think anybody, I don't think they would have been charged criminally unless they were driving under the influence. But- Which is is also possible, right? It is. And then that would explain why they did hide her body. But it definitely is a possibility. Um, I don't think it's as likely for the reasons we just said, which I, I would assume most people, if this happened, would they would be a good person and would say, oh my God, I can't believe this has happened. We need to call the police immediately because if if I don't, this is going to look even worse for me if if it's found out that I that that I was responsible for this. So I don't know. Yeah, it's you not have a likely. lot more
0: faith in people than than I do. I I think that it, most people. I mean, like you said, they could have been drinking. They could have had drugs in the car. There could have been a, a million reasons. A million they could have been on probation. Yeah. They could have had a criminal record. They they maybe thought that this was going to be better for them. But you've what's, caused what's your, torture to a, a, an entire community and an entire family for, you know, 20 years now. So
1: where's your where's your head on it? If you consider the um, if you consider because, we, you know, the, the shed still can happen. The Turner shed can still happen where she dumps some of the like all that can still be plausible where she gets spooked from the truck driver. Jeff, she dumps some things in there because it's dark and she's eating some candies and some things fall out. She gets back on the highway and then she's struck by a car. But I mean, do you think it's less likely? I know where my head's at on it. Do you think it's less likely considering that her book bag was found 30 miles away in the woods where it was kind of like protected, but then buried? Like what does that how does that play into your thought process?
0: So it it actually makes more sense if somebody had hit her accidentally and then was trying to hide her and the book bag for it to be preserved because, you know, maybe they're feeling guilty at this point. So they're like, you know, we don't. We don't want to just burn this girl's stuff like we we killed her and now we're going to just burn her stuff and like everything. They may have gone in the book bag, seen the family pictures, felt guilty, seen this little girl's clothes and just thought, you know, let's just wrap it in a bag and and bury it. And whatever happens, happens like we wore gloves. If it ever gets turned up, at least her family will have this stuff back, even if they don't have their daughter. Like it almost makes that. That's just me, though. That's that's how I'm thinking. Like if somebody doesn't want to get caught for like murdering a child. I would think you would destroy the evidence, not bury it in, in a preserved bag or something that's going to preserve it. But I don't know. It's it's very tough. Um,
1: and the fact that it's separate, like her body wasn't found there. So like no. they yeah. they went deliberately, like put her body somewhere if she's dead and they put the book bag somewhere completely different, which, which is only the reason why I think like this was done at a later date after whatever happened to Asha. This person decided to put it there because of whatever their intentions. I don't know. I just... I feel like if 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 she was struck by a car whatever she had with her at that time if they make the decision that we are going to take this to our grave because we're not going to go to jail for the rest of our lives for a, a legitimate accident and we just don't trust the police then I would get rid of everything. I and mean, I'm saying this in the most respectful way I can. I'm getting rid of I'm getting rid of of Asha and I'm getting rid of everything that would link me to her. Um I wouldn't be taking the time to drive around with her backpack just because I'd be too scared that I might get pulled over by the police or they might already be on to me and they could stop me and find it in my trunk. So I would be, I'd want to get rid of that stuff immediately. Or again, I hate to say this, please guys, don't you know come for me on this one, but I'm just going to keep driving. If I were to do that, I would stop. I would stop. I'd call police. I'd render aid. That's you and I. But if I struck this girl and I saw that she's on the side of the road, I'm going to keep driving. I don't want to touch her. I don't want to do anything if I'm a bad person, because anytime I interact with her, now there's a possibility of a transfer of trace evidence. So I'm not going anywhere near her and I'm going to keep driving and pretend like I didn't see anything if I'm a scumbag. Um, Oh, I was just thinking
0: about something, too, though. It just occurred to me. So check this out. Remember, Jeff Rupp was the first trucker who saw her that morning, right?
1: That's right. That's right. And then that
0: other dude, I forget his name because it's not right in front of me, but he saw her a little while later. He put out a call yep. on his APB. There's a, yeah, there's a person walking on the side of the road. Just so you guys know, don't, don't hit this person. Yeah. Don't hit her. What if one of the truckers heard this? And this trucker maybe has a tendency to be in a, in a predator or an abuser. And we know like I'm not I'm not trying to say that all truckers are horrible, like serial killers. But if you look historically, right, many times we do see like uh, Otis Toole and people like that truck drivers. They prowled the highways looking for victims. So what if his message reached the ears, reached the ears of somebody who did not have the best intentions and was like, oh, there's a woman or a child walking alone on the road? In like the early morning, it's dark. Nobody else is out. Well, thank you, thank you for X marks the spot, and I will go and find this person now. It just occurred to me, yeah. like as we were talking about it.
1: I mean, it's com- it's plausible, yeah. you know. It's it, it, absolutely. Oh, there's a little girl walking on the side of the road, and I'm t- ten. I'm ten miles away. Right. I'm gonna head that way. You know, it's completely possible. I still lean towards that. I still lean towards this being a predator situation. I'm really hoping, for the sake of Asha and her family, that. This individual You know Asha's still alive somewhere You know And, and I'm hoping that's the case um, Because the The fact that If she was struck by a vehicle To not have any evidence And again We don't have to get into the details Of what type of evidence Could be left behind You mentioned a couple of things Broken taillights um, Car parts Skin marks Yeah You know like Something that. Something Yeah Some sign of uh, Yaw marks Or something yeah. in the road Where the person Tried to stop Did you say yaw marks? Into- yeah Is that what they're called? Like. Tire tread marks, yeah, yeah stuff like okay. that, yeah. So, um, the fact that the, the absent of all that mm-hmm. is it still a scenario that we are able to rule out? Yep, of course. There's a lot of scenarios we can't rule out, but I think the bag, the backpack being, you know, wrapped in this garbage bag and thirty mile, thirty miles away, yeah, thirty miles away. That's not around the corner. No, that's a little bit of a drive. Someone different county, some, right? Someone took some time. Someone took some time and 30 miles is a long distance away from where Asha would have been taken. And the way they described uh, this
0: area where the bag was found, very wild, overgrown. They said jungle like conditions, you know, snakes it popping It wasn't meant to be found. It was not meant to be found. They did not know somebody That's was going to be building a house out there and there was going to be a driveway being put in there. They thought, let's go, you know, as, as remote and and wild as possible. So nobody's going to stumble upon this.
1: You know what I wonder? And they probably will never tell us. It could have been something that was natural to the area, a rock or a pole or something something that would distinguish that specific area from an area 10 feet away. Because if you go there and to see this item again or to retrieve it for whatever reason, you're not going to want to be there long. You're not going to want your car to be on the side of the highway where someone else could pass by and see your vehicle and your license plate. So they'd want to know exactly where it is if they have to go back. And I wonder, again, if we had access to those files... If there was anything that would distinguish that place from somewhere else for the person who put it there. And Terry
0: Fleming, he was the one, you know, precision grading. He may not have even seen anything like that because he's just going through this huge ass like truck tearing the ground up. So there may have been something to mark the spot, even if it was a natural landmark. Right. But he will he might not even know because he didn't realize there was anything to look for until he found that book bag right. a couple feet underground.
1: A rock formation, right. twigs, something like that, where it would look it wouldn't stand out. To anyone else, unless you knew what you were looking for. Yeah. yeah. He might have destroyed that. Yep.
0: On non accident, obviously, not purposely. On accident, yeah. of course.
1: Yes, of, of course.
0: Well, in September of 2003, a 43 year old man named Danny Ray Johnson was arrested after confessing to the abduction and rape of an 11 year old girl who'd gotten separated from her mother at a tractor pool event in Cleveland County. So what happened is, um, this guy, Danny Ray Johnson, he allegedly took this young girl into a forested area not far away from the, the tractor pull. He assaulted her, and then he left her there tied to a tree. Luckily, the child was recovered and brought to the hospital where she did get better. Um, She was treated for minor injuries. I'm sure her mental state was not as treatable because that is horrific. Um, Danny Ray Johnson, the scumbag that he is, he lived in Lawndale, so that's 11 miles north of Shelby, and Shelby was where Asha lived. And Danny's house was located very close to where Asha's bookbag had been found. He'd also confessed to an earlier kidnapping and rape of another woman, and deputies had interviewed Danny Ray Johnson the same month the bookbag had been found. And even though authorities found no evidence that would connect Johnson to Asha Degree, they did ask him for DNA and hair samples since the crime that he had been arrested for had been against a young girl right around the same age as Asha, uh, right around the same location, and Johnson willingly did give police access to his DNA. He stated he had nothing to do with Asha's disappearance, and he thought maybe he was even in jail at the time that she went missing. So authorities admitted that they had obtained his DNA for the purposes of elimination, if nothing else, but we know that they, they probably, like we were talking about earlier, they'd probably have to find Asha first to even have DNA to compare Johnson's to. Unless they had recovered something off of her book bag or the bag that was wrapped around her book bag,
1: we mentioned that earlier. and I'm sure you know this this individual, as with others, there's a lot of bad guys around there. Um, so it's like unfortunate that this is this isn't like an anomaly, but you know, again, it's this is their job to to go through that tedious process of, regardless of how unlikely it may be, eliminating individuals one by one. But I do think there's something to the idea. That whoever put this book bag in the woods, why, why they choose this location? Why did they choose this location? It's, I'm sure it's not right next to their house. That would be pretty stupid. Although not unless he wants to revisit right? But if he wants to revisit, and even if he only lives like five or six miles away, but something that he passes by frequently, you know, that would, it would make sense why the person would choose this specific location to bury this backpack because it's an area that they're familiar with. Maybe not that specific area of the woods, but something that they pass by religiously and it wouldn't be difficult for them to hop out of their car at two o'clock in the morning and know exactly where they put it. Or
0: maybe they were not from the area and they were on their way out of town and they didn't want to carry it with them. So they drove and they drove for a while after whatever they did, Dasha. And then they were like, I got to get rid of this. Let me pull over here. But,
1: but why not? Why take the time? To, so we can we're beating a dead horse here. But for me, it's like burn it. Throw it in the next body of water that you see or literally roll down your window and throw it as far in the woods as you can. Why take the time to bury it and not only bury it, but preserve it? I just, it just tells me that they were going to come back for it at some point. That's truly what my heart says. And again, not a, uh, you know, a psychologist by any means, but that to me suggests this individual intended on coming back for it at some point. I
0: agree with you. It does seem like that, doesn't it?
1: There's so many reasons why you would not take the time to wrap it, bury it. I mean, if you're driving out of town, I'm taking that thing. I'm hawking it into the next body of water I see along the side of the road. I'm not taking. You're not going to catch my truck parked over there with my hazards on for any period of time because even while you're in the woods, just just digging, someone could drive by, see your plate, and just report it down the road, saying, "Hey." I don't know if this means anything. It just you're running a risk that it's unnecessary unless it means something to you to make sure you bury it in a way that no one will find it unless you want to find it.
0: I think you're right, because I was even thinking maybe his DNA was on it or his fingerprints were on it. So he didn't want to just toss it out the window. But then why not just destroy it if you think your DNA or fingerprints are on it? Yeah, it's there, there seems to be only one logical reason why it would be buried like that and wrapped to like you said keep moisture and water out they wanted to go back and look at it
1: we bury you know at least i do you know i buried my hamster in the backyard for my daughters when 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 she passed away you know i could have just Buried it in the ground and not really taking the time to do anything with it But I wanted to protect it from the elements from animals from all these different things So you take that time to preserve it by putting it in a box Wrapping some type of plastic around it to keep water from getting into it You want to preserve whatever's inside of there it Sounds like what this person did with that backpack You know could be wrong. It could just be you know, it's a weirdo um but if you're so concerned about this backpack, maybe coming back and connecting to you down the road, why would you make the effort to to protect it in any way? You're right. We don't know. But it, I mean, just that's the only thing that makes sense to me.
0: It makes sense. And it's it adds another layer of like creepiness to it. Right.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. No. Well, I mean, think about it. Anyone who's abducting children is obviously, you know, there's only one place where they should go. And there's only a few things that should happen to them. And I'm all for all of them. The most painful, the most um, the better. But um, clearly, the person who would ever commit a crime like this—the um, the reason they do things—are unexplainable to people like ninety-nine point a hundred percent of our viewers. I hope yeah, <laughs> you know, what right. I mean? you know, <laughs> it, it, they're just something that's not—it's not something that we we can easily process because it's not something a human should even think about or consider.
0: Also, it almost seems like this may not have been their first rodeo, right? like somebody who's going to orchestrate this disappearance where it it literally seems like this girl vanished into thin air after the shed and then have the, the forethought to say, I want to revisit this crime. I want to revisit what I did to her. So I'm going to make sure to preserve what's left of her so that I can come back and touch it and smell it and look at it and relive this in my mind. Maybe not the first time they've done this.
1: And that would that would even be more give more credence to the idea that that was a keepsake. Yes, that was a keepsake. So, yeah, no, it's possible. It definitely wasn't their first time.
0: Well, before we keep going, we have uh, a little bit more to talk about, but let's have our last ad break and then we'll be back and wrap up. Okay, we're back. So, in November of 2004, authorities followed a tip that brought them to the corner of Shelby and Rube Spangler Roads near Lawndale, North Carolina. A detective from the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office had received a tip that pointed them to this area, but authorities, of course, would not comment further on what the actual tip was. This area was about six miles away from the home of Asha Degree, The police started digging behind an abandoned trailer while the medical examiner stood by. So obviously, whatever this tip was, it was like, we think she might be buried here or they wouldn't have brought like an Emmy, I think, because obviously whoever sent this tip and said that they believed she was there. After four days of digging and finding nothing, they packed up and went home. Dan Crawford. So remember, Dan Crawford used to be the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office. He well, he was the sheriff. He was uh, the sheriff when Asha went missing. Then he ran for re-election. He didn't win. So he was no longer the sheriff when this search happened in 2004. So he praised the investigators for following this tip, but he told reporters that it didn't really make sense to him that Asha's body would be buried so close to the location from which she had gone missing because her attacker would have to risk driving with her belongings after burying her to the much further location where her book bag would later be found. Crawford also gave his opinion that it was unlikely that a sex offender was involved because they wouldn't typically be out prowling for a victim that early in the morning. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I get it. So, like, it's, you know, 3.30 in the morning, 4.15 in the morning. If you're a pedophile and a sex predator, you don't expect that a nine-year-old girl is going to be wandering around on the road, on the highway at that time of the morning. So, but but however, I don't think that this was planned. I think that whoever took her, took a chance, saw an opportunity, grabbed her. And it wouldn't make sense that it was just a normal person who didn't have like this affinity for children or didn't have some sort of like sick, twisted um, pull towards children or, you know, young people. So I don't know how I feel about that. What do you
1: think? There's a couple of things you can take away from this. First off, you know, yes, he's he's right there. You know, this Asha was a victim of opportunity. It probably wasn't planned. But to what you said earlier, unless the sex offender has a job mm-hmm. and that job happens to be driving early in the morning because like a they're truck a truck driver, truck driver mm-hmm. or something like that, where they're a sex offender during the night hours. But their day job, so, so to speak, is to drive long distances where they can find victims of opportunity and carry out their conduct without being linked to it. So, yeah, maybe, but that maybe that's why this person hasn't been caught yet. The other thing that I don't want to get completely away from, although with what we have found so far doesn't suggest this, you know, we can't 1,000% rule out the possibility that Asha could have been groomed. I know there doesn't appear to be evidence of this or nothing at least released to us. That, you know, she was groomed and convinced or coerced to leave her home because there was something that she was going towards that was enticing to her. And that could be a sex offender who had been kind of grooming her to set this up. And I'm not talking about a sex offender that may be online or something like that, because it appears to be that the amount of exposure Asha and her brother had to computers and phones was limited. But, you know, listen, I was reading Reddit. I'm a Reddit person now. I'm going to be honest with you. I was reading (laughs) Twitter. I was reading some different articles. You know, I haven't ruled out anyone except really the immediate family members. I'm not ruling out teachers. I'm not ruling out coaches. I'm not ruling out fans of, of Asha's who are watching her at our basketball games that she might have known and trusted. I'm not ruling out any of them. I agree. Sorry. I agree. I'm not. And so one of them could have lured her out of her house and had this whole thing orchestrated. The only thing I do agree with him on is that whoever did this, it does appear that it happened a, sh- a good distance away from her house based on the Turner shed and all that stuff. So I would say that I don't think the person would come back towards Asha's residence to dispose of the body because it's too much of a risk. Um, but that's about where our, where I agree with him. I still think there's a lot of plausible scenarios, some of which you know, Asha's offender was someone she knew. Or the sex offender was someone who just happened to be driving on the highway that morning.
0: And she could have met somebody online, right? Because, yeah, she didn't have a computer or Internet access at her home. But she probably did at school. This was 2001. I I was in school. Well, not in 2001, but right before that, I would have been like a junior in high school. And it wasn't to the point where schools and teachers and stuff had realized that you could get into trouble as a kid online because the internet was still kind of new and burgeoning and you could pretty much do anything. You pretty much do anything. And we did. Okay, we did on the computers at school. And a lot of her family members lived very close to her on the same street. She was just at her cousin's house for a sleepover a couple nights before she went missing. They were watching TV, dancing, having fun. She could have been using the computer at her cousin's house or her grandmother's house we don't know what kind of internet access she had. I'm sure the police have looked into that, but it's not as if she would have had no ability to get on the on the internet at all, especially when all her friends probably were.
1: And also, I mean, if she was doing something that she didn't want people to know about, she would take some steps to make sure that it wasn't linked back to her. So, you know, I still think that's a very unlikely scenario. It's possible, but it's very unlikely. But I'm just saying, you know, for me... You know, if we found out five years from now that this happened to be someone she knew uh like I said, like a coach or a teacher or someone who came to her basketball games, i wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised in the least, not at all because she did appear if those all these other clothes we kind of we didn't dive into it too much. It appeared that she had been she had packed for a few days. This wasn't just, you know, she had a couple of pairs of clothing, the basketball outfit, which would have been probably more for the night when she had practice. So she was preparing to be gone for a little bit. And where was she planning on staying? How was she going to eat? Who, where was she going to sleep? Did she have these things worked out before she left? Did she think she had something lined up? What was she planning on doing? Sleeping in the woods? So I think there's something to be said about the items that were found in the bag that some could draw a connection to and say she felt like she had a place where she was going to be able to lay her head at night and feel safe.
0: Yes. And get this right. The items she packed, the clothing items, I think they're telling. She went missing early in the morning on Valentine's Day. She had packed her favorite jeans with a red stripe on the side. She packed um, a long sleeve shirt and a red vest. Was she planning to go to some sort of Valentine's Day party? Was she told that they were going to go to some sort of Valentine's Day party? You know, black shoes. They weren't sneakers. They were like sort of dressier shoes. What was this girl told that she packed these specific
1: items? A lot of, lot of, that's why this case is so interesting, right? And that's why it hasn't been solved because, that, you know, I'm sure the police have their theories. But there's probably not too many of those theories that they've been able to say definitively, nope. Not possible anymore because of this exculpatory evidence that we have. So because there's so many scenarios that are still in play, they got to explore every tip they get because they there's still a lot of things that have gone unanswered at this point.
0: Right. And former sheriff Dan Crawford, he believed that whoever had taken Asha had done so in a moment of opportunity, saying, quote, and once they did whatever they did to her, they knew they couldn't let her go. Once they crossed that barrier, they can't back up. Then fear sets in and they don't know what to do. End quote. So it it does seem to be the standard narrative from law enforcement that Asha left the house of her own free will, that she wasn't really lured out. And while she was out there, that's when she ran into foul play. But it is very possible. Yeah, but it is also very possible, like you said, that somebody was grooming her. And all of these um, other unknowns, the backpack and the picture and the shed and, you know, the items she had, and it seemed that she knew where she was going. Like that one trucker said, She seemed to walk like she had a goal in mind, like she had a place. She, Yeah, that does show that that this wasn't just her running away or leaving and just going to walk until what? Like you said, she felt she had some place to go, like a place to lay her head at night.
1: I wonder if there's any correlation between the fact that it was February 14th, which also happens to be her parents' anniversary. Was she going out early to... To surprise them, or I don't know, you know, she was wearing red. I don't know. I don't this, think this, this, so because so she questions.
0: had packed clothes, and she'd packed a few sets of clothes, like she was gonna be away,
1: away for a little bit, yeah, for a
0: couple of days. But I do have my own theory, which we'll get into, um, yes. next part, which does have something to do with the February fourteenth date. Okay. Well, I'll hold off, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, after this, you know, the the case went very cold for an extended period of time until February ninth of twenty fifteen when the FBI announced that they were re-examining the circumstances of Asha's disappearance. A $25,000 reward was offered for information that led to the discovery of Asha or the arrest of her abductor, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released an age-progression photo of Asha, showing what she would look like as a 24-year-old woman. On February 14th, the 15th anniversary of Asha's disappearance, her family walked from their home to Highway 18, the spot where she had been seen by Jeff Rupp, It's the same thing that they did every year, the same thing they do every year to remember her and to keep her memory alive. Asha's mother told the media to pray for them because they still believed that Asha was out there somewhere alive and they had not given up on her. On May 15th, 2016, the FBI and Cleveland County Sheriff's Office announced that they had received a new tip. Someone matching Asha's description had been seen getting into a dark green car around the area she was last seen on the day that she was last seen. Once again, um, she goes missing in 2000. They talk about this tip in 2016. I'm not sure why it took so long. And this was once again, like, you know, I I do like to go on Reddit myself. And there's people on Reddit saying like, Don't tell me that this tip came in like 16 years later, like somebody remembered this little girl getting into this exact car on this exact date at this exact time, 16 years later, like y'all probably had this tip the whole time and you just ran across it when you reexamined the case and went through the old case files. And that's a problem, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's I could see where people are coming from. I could see where people are coming from that you would say, you know, something doesn't seem right here. But they did put it out, and I wonder if- you know, 16 years put, later. If if they did get it 16 years later. I'm not going to dispute what you're saying, but I'm just saying we're assuming that they did get it 15, 16 years ago and just waited to this day to put it out.
0: No, but, I don't I don't think that's what- I'm not trying to be mean to you. I don't want anybody to- Sorry, no, Derek, no, Derek you, may I please speak? Derek, I'm raising my hand. May I please speak to you? You may. Thank you so you much, may. sir. You're welcome. Okay, so <laughs> what we think happened, me and the Reddit crew- Um, We think that this tip came in shortly after she went missing, but it was overlooked. So in 2015, the FBI is like, okay, we're reexamining this case. We're bringing in a different set of people. We're going to go through all of the tips. We're going to go through all of the old evidence. So when they're going through all the old evidence and all the old tips, they find it. They find a witness statement. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we've never heard of this before. This was never released. That's the issue that we're talking about. And like you said, it could have a lot to do with. You know, somebody gets promoted or somebody gets fired or somebody gets moved to a different department. Right. You're nailing it. But still,
1: I think I think I think the the idea that that's what happened is a real likelihood. And I think based on the detail of the witness account gives more credence to what you guys are saying, like rust on the wheel. You're going to get to all the description. Yeah, exactly. Very specific. I think very specific considering it was 16 years later when this person recalled this so I think there's truth to it and I and I and I know for a fact what you're describing as I said earlier when there's a change of guard where someone gets promoted and that detective's folder who you know was really messy and how he you know kept his reports or whatever they go through John's stuff and John's got, Papers all over the place and then someone who's maybe a little bit more organized, a newer detective decides to digitize all this and put it into a PDF. And then now as everyone's re-examining it and looking at it, some for the first time, they're reading these witness accounts and saying, hey, did anyone ever follow up on this person right here? This girl, Tammy, came out and said this. No, that's the first time I'm here. Hey, call Crawford. Call some of the guys that were working it back then. Ask him if they know anything about this. This has actually happened to me, by the way. And then we call the old timers and they're like, oh, no. Yeah, that's that's new for me.
0: And then they're they're like, whose tip was that? And they're like, Todd. And they're like, oh, Todd. His desk was always a mess, but it's like, come on, man, the missing girl.
1: Not to get sidetracked, but Judy Rawlings, I, they, the, the police department was nice enough to give me some of their files, and I went through all these recordings that they had. They had finally digitized them, and I found a recording where a prison inmate uh, implicated one of our main suspects in uh, in the murder of Judy Rawlings, and I, on camera, on breaking homicide, bring the captain in, who was in charge at the time. I play the tape for him and he's like, I've never heard that tape before. And he was pissed. And this was online. So it, it, it happens pissed
0: at himself,
1: pissed, pissed. No, yes, we won't go there. Cause this isn't about him, but more pissed at the detective who was on the tape, because according to him, this was never relayed to him. You know, it was never filed. It was something, there's a lot more to this, but he was definitely, he was not happy. And the scene was super awkward. I remember our producers being like, we're going to stand in the back of the room, but uh, I played it for him. I go, I actually swore, you know, and, and they just bleeped it out. I was like, this is a huge, you know, F up. And, you know, he was like, I don't disagree with you. So to everything you just said, I think, I think that's a very likely scenario that this was uncovered by an agent or someone who just took on the case and said they dropped the ball here. And even if they didn't believe it was something that was relevant that's not their call to make. They should have at least put it out. So we're going to put it out now.
0: Yeah. I think that it's probably a lot more common than most people want to yeah. even think about. Yeah, it's,
1: I agree. I agree with that.
0: Um, So here's the description of the car. The car was described as being an early 1970s Lincoln Mark IV or a Ford Thunderbird with rust around the wheel wells. Alan Norman, who was the sheriff in 2016, he said, quote, This vehicle right now is considered a vehicle of interest, and it was occupied two times on the day of her disappearance, end quote. Sheriff Norman also said that the new tip had been generated after a meeting of the joint task force that met regularly to discuss Asha's case. So, yeah, exactly what we said. Like, they, they got together the joint task force They started going through the stuff and they're like, oh, what's what's this on the post-it note? Yeah. So the sheriff said that this should show people that the case was being worked on regularly and would continue to be worked on until there was closure for Asha's family and community. And the FBI spokesperson said, quote, the eyewitness we've done many interviews with and we've done our own investigative steps with that information, end quote. So some online believe That when the sheriff said the car was occupied two times the day that Asha went missing, he meant that there was two people in the car because apparently cops will say, you know, this this vehicle is occupied X number of times. That's like police vernacular for the number of persons in the vehicle. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Is this a thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's
1: how I stop a car. You know, 19 to 311 going to be stopped on Raleigh and Lake. Vehicle one, you know, registration plate so and so occupied two times. Now, if I say over the thing occupied four times, usually that's indication to another officer to start heading that way to back up because now it's, yeah, it's four, four against, against one. one. Yep.
0: So, do you think that that's what Sheriff Norman meant when he said it was occupied two times that day, that there was two people? One in million there? percent. Okay.
1: When, as you were reading it, that's that's I was like, oh, so those two people in the car. So clearly, this witness said there was a driver and there was a somebody was in a passenger. the passenger, yeah. Yep. Or whether that passenger was in the passenger seat in the front or in the back, but there was definitely two identified individuals in that vehicle. Yes. So we
0: may be dealing with more than one offender at this point.
1: Absolutely. If this if this vehicle is, in fact, if everything's credible, and yeah, that's a real strong possibility.
0: Well, so it would be another three years after this car tip got revealed, before law enforcement released pictures of the concert tee in the Dr. Seuss book, and then the 18th anniversary of Asha's disappearance came and went with nothing more substantial to go on. Harold, Aquila, and O'Brien were truly suffering by this point, they almost didn't make their annual walk in memory of Asha because Aquila felt it wouldn't accomplish anything. You know, she's feeling hopeless at this point. I don't blame her. But then O'Brien, who, you know, he's the real MVP. I love O'Brien, man. I got to tell you, I don't know him, but I I love him. And I'm sending, like, (laughs) all my thoughts to him. I think he's just the sweetest kid. But he reminded her that the reason they kept going out there, rain or shine, snow or sleet every year, was to remind people of what had happened to Asha. O'Brien told the Gaston Gazette, quote, I know where my mom was coming from, but it felt really weird not to walk, End quote. Almost two decades after seeing his sister for the last time, O'Brien also wondered if he would even recognize her if she passed him on the street. He wondered if he would even recognize her voice if she spoke to him or her laugh if he was like on a crowded bus with her. <laughs> it's devastating. Like, you know, you said earlier, O'Brien shouldn't feel like it's his fault but he's going to feel some sort of responsibility anyways. He was her protector. He was like her little hero. You know, he held her hand and walked her to class every morning. He walked her to the school bus. Like, they slept in the same room. When she woke up with nightmares, he comforted Hurley. Like, it's so devastating. Um, Very, very sad. And even though so much time had passed, the Degree family still held hope that Asha was alive. And Aquila sent a message to her daughter saying, quote, I don't know why you left, but it doesn't matter. We just want you to come home, end quote. Um, Two investigators who were active on Asha's case, they went to Quantico, they met with agents in the FBI's child abduction and serial killer unit, and together they apparently made this psychological profile of who Asha's abductor could have been, like personality wise. But once again, this report was never made available to the public.
1: Yeah, um, the report not being made to the public, I know where you stand on these things and You know, I could see them using it as information to maybe narrow down their suspect pool, their person of interest pool that they probably established over the years. Um, But I also think there could be something that might be of value to the public. And, And even if they don't know anything about Asha's case, but to be aware that this individual could be out there in their community and to maybe be on the lookout for some of the tendencies they might display that might seem normal to you until you read something like this. You don't want to overreact. You don't want people um, carrying out street justice just because this person matches two or three things in this 15-page report or whatever it is. But I do think there's some value in informing the public of this person, especially in that immediate area, um, so that they can be vigilant and be on the lookout for someone who may display some of the tendencies associated with a person who would fit this profile.
0: Yeah, I just don't understand what the benefit of withholding any information 20 years into this. There's not been a trace of her. I don't see the benefit of withholding really any information because at that point, like, you don't know what you can do. Um, If you are going to assume that like some grown person or persons did this, you know, maybe in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s even, 20 years has gone by, you're running out of time here. Like. You know, you had to to trust the public that they're not going to go and be some vigilante and just start go attacking people who match this psychological profile. That's less likely than, you know, them actually using the information to, like, protect themselves and be vigilant. But at this point, like, you haven't been able to accomplish this. Maybe you can put this information out to people who can do something at 20 years in. And if this and I, I do. I want to say like if this was your daughter who was missing for twenty years and all of this information is being withheld from the public, and I'm not asking with any preconceived notion of what your your answer is, but would you want some of these things to be made public so that you could have more eyes on it and you could have more brains working on it, especially given like the um, the what what the you know true crime community looks like and. 2018, 2019 2020 2021 you like you've got armchair detectives which is a derogatory term that's used sometimes but these people are out there solving crimes bringing people home like bringing closure they're out there doing that so if you can't do it for 20 years as the police department not saying that they didn't try to do everything they could pat on the back good for you guys but now it's time to bring in like some help and widen the scope what do you think
1: you ready for this mm-hmm. i agree with you <laughs> it's a moment. I I have shown this publicly in the in the cases that I have selected. I do think there comes a point, especially when you start hitting 20, 25, 30 years, where the traditional course of action where everything's kind of kept close to the vest goes out the window. And I think you laid it out perfectly there. This is not saying the agents didn't do everything they could. It's not saying they didn't try their hardest, but whatever they've done, it hasn't worked. And for me at this point, I think it's an opportunity where you release almost everything and allow some type of crowd solve, some type of group think because clearly whatever has been done for the last 20 years has not worked. And at that point you're waiting for some miracle. You're waiting for some break in the case, a tip or some new advancement in technology. The only reason I would say You wouldn't release it is if they had a profile or something close to your DNA profile for this person and they were literally just waiting for DNA and they don't want that. They don't want to tip off that suspect. That would be the reason why they're not releasing it. So for everyone out there, even though I agree with you, the reason they are not releasing everything is because the person who did this or the people who did this by you putting everything out there, you're also showing your cards to them. That's really the only reason guys. It's it doesn't have to be more difficult than that. It doesn't have to be more deep than that. It's just as simple as yes, if they could market where it would only go out to the people who genuinely want to help, I think most cases they would. But the people who did this or even other individuals who might want to carry out an act like this in the future, they can use this information as intelligence to not only see how police operate but for more the more specific this case the suspect and offender can see what they have what they know and what they don't know but i've proven in the past i do think there comes a point where if you haven't solved it yet you kind of got to roll that dice because i'm pretty confident in saying that the suspect knows at this point you don't got him yet that's where I'm in at it, but we do agree.
0: So do you think then that they have a suspect? Because I mean I it's 2021 DNA is evolved.
1: I don't okay. I don't think they know who did it. I don't think they know who did it. I don't think they I don't think they know. A ton. I think they know a lot about what happened that day. They got a lot of statements. They probably have identified 100 different people who were on that road at that time. They have their Nates, names, names, dates, date of births, addresses, social securities, but I don't think they know what happened to Asha. If they did, I think they'd be kind of honing in on the scope of the possibilities and it really just seems like they're looking for something that might point them in the right direction.
0: So then there's really no reason they shouldn't be releasing more.
1: Other than the fact that by them releasing everything, the suspect who's out there or suspects will absolutely be reading it as well,
0: if they're even like still alive. At alive. This point. If yeah. they're
1: if they're still alive, which we hope they are, because I'd want to find them, um, unless they died in a very painful way. But if they're still alive, that's the only thing that would be such a tough pill to swallow is for them to be sitting back and either like you know. Relishing in the fact that like you they got away with it or knowing how close you were to catching them or not catching them. That's the one element of it that kind of sucks. But I do think it's risk worth reward. You got to put the ego aside. And and I've done it with other cases. I've said it publicly. 20, 30 years in, although you and I don't agree on like five or 10-year-old cases, I think those are still relatively new in this in the context of cold cases. 20, 30 years, it's a long time. You've had your time, and it's time to, for the sake of the family, allow them to know everything you have as well. And so that's that's why I do agree with you. And I and I know a lot of law enforcement officers don't agree with me on that, um, but that's just that's just my stance on it. And I as a as a human being, I have the right to have an opinion. And I I do believe there is a point where when you've exhausted all options, it's time to to reach out to unconventional. Um, avenues. And that would be crowdsourcing and using people like Web Sleuth and these armchair detectives and allowing them to dive into the details. And you'd be surprised at what they can find. Seriously, we've seen it happen. Yeah, we have. Podcasters have solved cases, no investigative experience solving cases. So I, I completely agree with you. I know that was a shock, but I do.
0: My ego won't let me feel that it was a shock. I just feel like you finally come
1: around. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, well, whatever, whatever. enjoy your moment. Yeah, I'm
0: going to. I'm, I'm relishing okay. in it. Because, I mean, at this okay. point, right, in the timeline, we're in November of 2020. <laughs> it's, it's been legitimately 20 years as of a year ago and in November of 2020. So this is uh, right before COVID hits, right? Uh, a 53-year-old convicted pedophile named Marcus Mellon, he wrote a letter to the star claiming he had information about Asha that he wanted to pass on to the FBI. The letter said, quote, Asha Degree has been missing for over 20 years. About four months ago, I had found out her whereabouts and what happened to her. She was killed and then took and buried. I do know how and what town she is in. I hope you get this letter and come see me. It's on the up and up, End quote. So Marcus Mellon was serving 14 years for sex crimes against children that he'd committed in 2014 in Cleveland County. But when he wrote this letter in late 2020, The um, Alexander Correctional Institute, where he was being held, they experienced like this big COVID outbreak right after. And law enforcement announced that they'd gotten the tip and they would investigate it when the pandemic was under control. So it's actually not right before the pandemic. I was wrong because November of 2019 would have been right before the pandemic. This was like towards the end of 2020. So my bad. I'm so sorry. They get a huge COVID outbreak. They can't, the police can't go in and and interview him about this because then they're in lockdown. But several months later, after an investigation into Mellon's claims, including interviews with Mellon and another inmate, police discovered that the stories given by these two individuals were second and third hand, and they'd not led to any new information. Sheriff Norman told the Shelby Star that tips from inside jails and prisons are tricky because they can sometimes come with ulterior motives, such as trying to get a plea for other crimes, However, they are still taken seriously by law enforcement and followed up on. Norman said, quote, you take all information received extremely seriously and we run it to the very end, regardless of who provides that information, end quote.
1: Yeah, glad that you and I had talked about this when we were going back and forth. And I had said that, you know, even though COVID was going on, they were going to get around to it and it looks like they did and they don't it doesn't appear that they have much faith in it. And again, it's second, third, you know, hand information. You know, it probably was a lot more vague than he had kind of portrayed to the star. That's what I was thinking. He was like, like, I know how
0: and I know where.
1: Yeah. But you don't. Yeah, exactly. And so it always, when you get them in person, you're like, okay, what do you got? And it's like, well, you know, it's not exact information, but I know they were, I know they're in the state. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, how do you know? She's in North
0: Carolina, guys.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So I'm sure it does sound like he's not ruling it out completely, maybe for the sake of, who might be listening to what he has to say, you know, the potential suspect, but it doesn't sound like it revealed anything that was substantial.
0: Well, this has pretty much brought us up to date with evidence and timelines, but in the third and final part of this series, we will discuss theories. If if, a series and theories rhymes, (laughs) I just just figured that out as I said that sentence. Um, So we're going to discuss theories in the next episode, and there's a lot of them including popular theories, theories put forth by law enforcement, um, online web sleuths. I mean, they have a lot. And I'm not, you know, we're not going to talk about the theories that seem completely out there, but there's so many theories that are sort of laid out in a way where you didn't think about it before. But as you're reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, I can see how that would happen. And like I said, I have my own personal theory that I've never heard discussed anywhere else that it kind of occurred to me just from one sentence in one article. That I read. And I've never seen uh, this information printed in really any any other article. It was just this one article I read and it got me thinking and I kind of formulated a potential theory. And we'll talk about that next time. Do you have any closing thoughts before we leave?
1: I do have a few closing thoughts. I wanted, because I haven't said it in a few weeks, want to thank everyone for the speak pipes. I still listen to every single one. I forward them to Stephanie. I hear some of the ones you guys were, it's kind of a funny story, but I, obviously you guys got some great accents. And because I said it, Stephanie said it now all you guys are calling in from all over the world with these really cool accents we I'm not going to say this person's name we actually had one the other day I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it yet but she literally was like hey I'm on the toilet right now but I just Wait, wanted to the, say I love did,
0: you did her name start with an a
1: I believe yeah, so. I yes. I and she's you- like, I'm on the toilet right now. It's all echoey. I'm like, that's different. That's different. But oh listen, my god, we- I
0: laughed so hard, and I needed it that laugh that day. So thank she was, you. Like, hey. yes. she was like, hey, yeah, like
1: hey, she's all excited about it. But um, no, I listen. I just want to say I appreciate it because you guys have given us a lot of positive comments and case suggestions, and it's cool to put you know some voices with some of our listeners and our viewers. So I know. We haven't been playing them. We have so much going on in these cases. We really want to focus on the case. But do know we are listening to them and we appreciate them. And, uh, you know, just means a lot. And I wanted to acknowledge that um, because I know we haven't in, in in the last few months. We've been growing exponentially and we're trying to perfect this channel so that you're getting the most out of it. And um, just know that the speak pipes have not gone unnoticed. We still listen to every single one
0: we've been growing exponentially and that is due to you guys really it is like we we sit here we're doing the same thing whether two people are listening or two hundred thousand. but the reason we're growing is because of you guys and your love and support is absolutely invaluable we appreciate it so so much so much
1: uh one final thing stephanie doesn't know i'm going to say this but i'm going to say it and i didn't ask for her permission <laughs> here because i don't have to <laughs> right but i want to say it anyways because i think it needs to be said you know we read the comments And we read it because we want constructive criticism. We want to grow the channel. There's a lot of comments that you guys and suggestions you guys have made that we've implemented and we use it also for feedback as far as our sound quality, all this stuff. So obviously I saw a lot of the comments that were coming in after our little debate uh, last episode and I'm bringing it up because again, Stephanie's not asking me to, but I think, you know, I should bring it up because it, it involves me. Understand this. Stephanie and I have a great relationship um and and she allows me to speak my mind i allow her to speak hers we've argued off camera we're good friends it's gonna happen we're just exposed to you guys and i can promise you i'm gonna offend her at some point she may offend me even though i wasn't offended by her comments and just understand you guys can voice your opinion but it's more for yourself because we have a good relationship and I would just say keep it on the case because ultimately that's what we're here for. We want to bring exposure to these people, to their families, and to allow you guys to take something from it so you can better protect yourself and the people you care about. So I didn't want to not acknowledge it because my name's being thrown around a lot and Stephanie didn't ask me to do this. Actually, I can tell she's a little embarrassed that I probably am, but I, but Stephanie is my friend. We have a good relationship and and I was not offended by it for anybody who thinks I was. There was a couple of people said it. I have thicker skin than that. I've heard a lot worse. I'm sure she's heard a lot worse. And we're cool. So don't worry about us. Focus on the cases. Keep the conversation in the comments about these cases. Because I think when we start talking about things that really don't matter, we're losing sight of why we're here. So that's that's all I wanted to say on it. And I apologize. Don't Don't come for me, Stephanie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am a little embarrassed. But yeah, I felt... I felt a little misrepresented because I was. it was just a joke when I said you weren't raised right. It was like a joke. Yeah. It was clearly a joke. I felt
1: bad. I felt bad. And I, I didn't want to go off in the comments. I know you put up a thing. And, I, you know, Stephanie does care about you guys. She loves you guys. You're like her family. She always talks about her supporters and all the how she grew up in this, in you know, this YouTube game. And there's a lot of you there that she really considers like family. So although she may not want to admit it, she does value what you guys think. And, you know, I want you to know that it, it definitely was misrepresented a lot of ways because we talk to each other a certain way and we're genuine with you guys on camera. We don't bullshit you guys and put on these different hats when the cameras go on. So what you're seeing is a lot of how we talk to each other, sometimes even worse when the camera's not yeah. on. That's just how we are. We have like that brother sister relationship where there's really no it's happened very fast I think, which is uncomfortable for some people, but we're just we're close. So that's all I wanted to say just to kind of put my two cents in, but I, I would just say overall, let's keep it focused on what matters and that's these victims and their families.
0: Yeah. We're rock solid and I would never we are. I would never say anything like that. Like mean like that. Oh my God. I felt I felt bad. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe people think I would say that. Like in a real way. Like I'm not like I know I'm a bitch, but I'm not like a mean person, you know? <laughs> so, nah. and I was it's all good. I was like you should hear some of the things he says to me when the the cameras aren't on.
1: <laughs> we we battle. Yeah, we I do. mean, listen, that's part <laughs> but of, it's fun. That's part of a real it's a real relationship yeah. you guys are seeing here. It's not it's not fake. So, um that was really it, but you can you can definitely take us out. I think I covered all that. Uh, all always Crime Weekly merch, positive note.
0: Yeah. Go over to Crime
1: Weekly. Yeah, go over to I know we have new merch mm-hmm. coming out very very, very soon. Very soon.
0: I'm so excited. Uh,
1: and that's going to be with a different company mm-hmm. that has better international shipping. We heard you guys. We actually, we actually one of the drawings that we received from, from one of you guys, we went back to her. We paid her to make the illustrations more specific because we really wanted to dive into this whole undercover pineapple thing. We love the design. We do. We love it. and so great. Stephanie's just working out the final details mm-hmm. for the release and then you guys are going to have the ability to buy it. But until then you can still go to crime slash shop our, uh, crime weekly day one of shirts. All those things are there. The mugs are sold mm-hmm. out. We're not selling any more of them. The stickers are sold out, not selling any more of them. But if you really want to get the day one is merch in white for right now. um, and I think even in the black, it won't have day oneers on it, right? It's just going to be crime weekly. Yeah. So po- when we uh, when we weekly. release
0: the new design, we're going to release the crime weekly logo on different colored shirts, but it won't say yes. day oneer. So the day oneers merch, a, when it, that's sold out, it's sold out.
1: It's that's it. That's it. So if you want to get that, again, you can head over to that website. It'll be here in the bottom. Um, we appreciate all the love and support, and just thank you for being with us every week. Follow we, us on we Instagram. Really do follow
0: it. us on Twitter. Go to what's our um, handle? Um, at crime weekly pod.
1: Yes Nailed it Yes Nailed it
0: (laughs) So follow us on social media And that's the way that audio listeners Can also communicate with us Because they don't have the YouTube comments Um, And you know Leave us a speak pipe And send us love And don't forget to give us a five star rating Wherever you listen to your podcast It's really helpful We love you guys so much And we'll see you next week Until then Bye
1: Later Later